0: he's right on it this time i'm so ready oh there we go that's better
1: (laughs) (gasps) oh let me get recording (sighs) 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 Uh, how are you doing i'm good how are you doing pretty okay yeah oh my god just trying to get through this uh japonica stuff Mm. um and welcome
0: to super super duper duper
1: the paranormal podcast About the Science of the Strange. I'm Wyatt.
0: I'm Jake. Welcome back to another week, Mm -hmm. everybody. And this one, oh, it's in October. We're officially there. Yeah. October has arrived. As a show that does spooks and spook adjacent material all year round, uh, for this month, we're now in October, we try to make stuff a little more special for the month. So, like, you know, in the past, we've had cool guests and stuff. Uh, Last year, we even got to go to a... An ostensibly haunted location for our Halloween episode. This year we also have some Halloween deals. We've already mentioned the special deal we have for annual subscriptions on our Patreon as opposed to month-to-month. Oh, yeah. Available now through Halloween. You can subscribe for a full year and only pay for 10 months of that year. We also have a special limited time merch release, which we'll explain at the end of the episode, so stick around. Please do. Yeah, but to kick off October this year, we thought it'd be cool to present you fine listeners with Another super-duper-stitious special Special report. report.
1: If you've never heard one of these before, this is where Jake and I tackle some kind of paranormal, strange, or scientifically challenging phenomenon over the course of two episodes. Mm-hmm. So, episode one, we will sort of lay up the... Concept itself and give some examples of that and sort of do a gentle dive into what's going on. And then Mm -hmm. next week's episode, we'll take a deeper dive into the scientific underpinnings of that thing. So, what are we talking about today, Jake?
0: Scary stories, specifically why we like them so much. Or at least why most of us like them so much. True. Why (laughs) we, as a human race, largely seem to be drawn to them enough for them to still proliferate for centuries. And you know, because of the unique content of this special report compared to others, we're doing things a little differently than we usually do on the show, which is to say we're just going straight spooks, ostensible truth be damned. Normally we try and find stuff that's like eyewitness reports or something. People, We try and take them at their word that they actually experienced the thing they did. This time around, we're going to straight up include some horror fiction because we've got all sorts of scientific and cultural coolness we want to hit you with next week. We want to just give examples of Scary stories and uh, talk about reasons why the stuff about those appeal to us.
1: Absolutely. And after all, the sort of magic of the scary story is happening inside of our brains, anyhow. So the trigger, the stimulus, doesn't matter if it is just straight up folklore or fantasy or whatever have you. Um, and I believe this week being an even episode, Jake, do you dare take us away? I think
0: I do. Oh, boy. So I am covering the cultural side of why we like to tell and hear scary stories. And while I'll, of course, be digging deeper into that next week, today I figured I could look at this idea by going back in time a bit. Ooh. The horror all fiction right. of all sorts, from books and shows and movies to campfire and slumber party stories, all of this has been pretty ubiquitous for the duration of our lives. Uh, I thought it would be pretty fun to see how much of the same story beats we're used to can be found in stories from a while ago. Hmm, cool. First up, I have a Joast story from... Uh, originally appeared on the front page of the Weekly Irish Times in 1888. Okay it is doke. called The Haunted House in Bride Street. Hmm. Uh, Mr. Mullen, sometime grocer in Bride Street, was left a widower with the charge of several children, some of them young girls. Very soon after their mother's death, steps began to be heard upstairs and downstairs, and chiefly into the nursery. Ooh. Great alarm and fright prevailed, and the maid and the children appealed to the master of the house, who pooh-poohed their fears. Pooh-pooh! Mm-hmm. They suspected, however, from his own careworn looks that he also had received disagreeable visits. Oh, more like mm, pooh. Uh, pooh. <laughs> pooh. Poor children began to lose the natural cheer of youth, really nothing to do with the fact that their fucking mom just died, uh, <laughs> and to be found with scared. Part of the article, I'm sure. Yeah, and to be found with scared looks, especially towards night, and little wonder, for steps were constantly heard pacing across the nursery, and sometimes they would be conscious from the low sound of breathing and sighing that someone was standing beside their beds. <sighs> <laughs> just kind of go, I'm so dead. <laughs> One night when the maid was following Mr. Mullen upstairs from the cellar, she distinctly saw a small man with a red cap on, following close on her master's steps and holding him by the skirts of his coat. This was the only appearance, and it was the more remarkable, as all were of opinion that the haunting was the spirit of the mother, who was showing her anxiety for her daughters in this disagreeable way. <laughs> so, so they thought they all assumed that it was just the um, the late mother, but then she saw this little dude, and she's like, oh, sort of a different ghost? Yeah. Um, oh. So they're freaked out by that. Pretty creepy. At last, as Anne O'Neill, the maid, was one evening sitting at the kitchen table employed at drying and drying out laces and frills with her Italian iron on the table before her, just in case you were wondering if this was or was not the 19th century, <laughs> and the master sitting on the other side and smoking, he had come into the kitchen for that purpose, she was sensible of the presence of her late mistress passing close by her in the direction of the fire and could distinguish the words said in a whisper, achon, achon, achon. This is from the Gaelic word achon, which you can't tell from my saying it, but it's spelled differently. But um, It's an exclamation of grief kind of like alas. Uh, or woe, I guess is another thing you could say. Whoa. Oh, master, said she, could you hear that? What, you fool, said he unnecessarily douchily. Oh, my mistress's ghost passing by me and moaning. Classic Gaelic term. Yes. It's all imagination, said he, but he spoke in a vexed tone. Don't don't encourage the children in these nonsensical whims. That night, the eldest daughter, who commonly seemed in more terror than her sisters, was sleeping next to Anne O'Neill. She was all at once wakened up and became conscious of some awful presence. A cold perspiration burst out all over her, and she tried to cry out, but was not able In this state, she received three severe slaps on the shoulders and fell into a swoon. The father, hearing in the morning what had happened, made up his mind to abandon the house as soon as he could, and in a few weeks was settled in Dorset Street. The persecution or warning or whatever it was did not follow the family to their new residence. Some of the persons who experienced this domestic visitation are said to have been known to the writer and were persons who would not willfully tell such a falsehood. Hmm. So that's the end of the first story. This appeared in the front page of the Irish Weekly Times. Wow. And uh, yeah, it was just a thing that got out there. But you know, if we really want to get into this, we have to go deeper. Uh, For that, I turned to a story I had actually once seen in passing and then totally forgot about, was very helpfully reminded of by listener Brian Dalton. So thanks, Brian. Hmm. Uh, This is, of course, a letter from the 1st century CE sent by Pliny the Younger to Sura. We're going way, way back. Hmm. Uh, Pliny the Younger was a magistrate, lawyer, and writer of ancient Rome, and Sura was, as far as I can tell, somebody. The letter begins. (laughs) The present recess from business affords you leisure to give and me to receive instruction. I am extremely desirous, therefore, to know your sentiments concerning spectres, whether you believe they actually exist and have their own proper shapes and a measure of divinity, or are only the false impressions of a terrified imagination. What particularly inclines me to give credit to their existence is a story which I heard of Curtius Rufus. When he was in low circumstances and unknown to the world, he attended the newly made governor of Africa into that province. One afternoon, as he was walking in the public portico, he was extremely mm. daunted with the figure of a woman who appeared to him of a size and beauty more than human. She told him she was the tutelar genius that presided over Africa and was come to inform him of the future events of his life. The tutelar, not titular? Uh, tutelar, T U T E L A R, and then huh. genius as a proper noun. Huh saying that she could see what was going to happen in his life that he should go back to rome where he should hold office and return to that province invested with the proconsular dignity and there should die Uh, i do totally subscribe to the idea of an african spirit or deity telling him to just go back to rome and die yeah same every circumstance of this prophecy was actually accomplished it is said farther that upon his arrival at carthage as he was coming out of the ship the same figure accosted him upon the shore Whoa. It is certain, at least, that being seized with a fit of illness, though, though there were no symptoms in his case that led his attendants to despair, he instantly gave up all hope of recovery, judging, it would seem, of the truth of the future part of the prediction by that which had already been fulfilled, and of the misfortune which threatened him by the success which he had experienced. Which is a very roundabout way of saying that Curtis Rufus uh, got shook and then, I guess, died.
1: Died, <laughs> yeah, exactly. He did become shook. <laughs> Plenty goes a on. A great
0: shookness precipitated in his being. <laughs> yes. Uh, and I said to this story, let me add another as remarkable as the former, but attended with circumstances of greater horror, which I will Ooh. give you exactly as it was related to me. There was at Athens a large and spacious but ill-reputed and pestilential house. So the, the Greek equivalent of a creepy mansion up on the hill. In the dead of the night, a noise resembling the clashing of iron was frequently heard, which, if you listened more attentively, sounded like the rattling of fetters. Fetters, it turns out, are chains, so there's your classic rattling chains sound. Mm -hmm. At first it seemed at a distance, but it approached nearer by degrees. Immediately afterward, a phantom appeared in the form of an old man, extremely meager and squalid, with a long beard and bristling hair, rattling the shackles on his feet and hands. The poor inhabitants consequently passed sleepless nights under the most dismal terrors imaginable. He presumably warned folks to give up their miserly ways lest they become like him and then gave them a heads up that they'd be visited by a sequence of additional ghosts. Mm -hmm. This, as it broke their rest, threw them into distempers, which, as their horrors of mind increased, proved in the end fatal to their lives. For even in the daytime... Though the specter did not appear, yet the remembrance of it made such a strong impression on their imaginations that it still seemed before their eyes, and their terror remained when the cause of it was gone. So, spooky ghost scares them, they sleep so bad they die. (laughs) (laughs) By this means, the house was at last deserted, as being judged by everybody to be absolutely uninhabitable, so that it was now entirely abandoned to the ghost. However, in Mm -hmm. hopes that some tenant might be found who was ignorant of this great calamity which attended it, a bill was put up giving notice that it was either to be let or sold it happened that athenodorus the philosopher came to athens at this time and reading the bill ascertained the price the extraordinary cheapness raised his suspicion nevertheless when he heard the whole story he was so far from being discouraged that he was more strongly inclined to hire it and in short actually did so so props to athenodorus he was like wait this place is how cheap well, clearly yeah, for cash. Real. Oh, it's haunted? Oh, hell
1: yeah, let's do this. The original flip-this-house guy.
0: Yeah. Um, when it grew towards evening, this is after he moved in, he ordered a couch to be prepared for him in the forepart of the house. After calling for a light, together with his pen and tablets, he directed all his people to retire within. Hmm. Um, but that his mind might not, for want of employment, be open to the vain terrors of imaginary noises and apparitions, he applied himself to writing with all his faculties, so his plan was like, okay, I'll just like be really busy, so then I won't leave any room for my imagination to wander and, and start to think that things are happening that aren't. Mm-hmm. The first, first part of the night passed with usual silence, then mm-hmm. began the clanking of iron fetters. However, he neither lifted up his eyes nor laid down his pen, but closed his ears by concentrating his attention. Hmm. The noise increased and advanced nearer till it seemed at the door and at last in the chamber. Mm. He looked round and saw the apparition exactly as it had been described to him. It stood before him, beckoning him with the finger. Thenedorus made a <laughs> sign with his hand that uh, sh- that wasn't a finger. <laughs> Thenedorus made a sign with his hand that said it should wait a little and bent again to his <laughs> right, Which what a power move! The yeah. guy just yeah, hold on, uh, i Just a, a minute, yeah. <laughs> but the ghost rattling. I'm not
1: his- done
0: <laughs> pooping. <laughs> The ghost rattling its chains over his head, as he wrote, he looked round and saw it beckoning as before. So I just like, it's like, no, dude, rattle, rattle, like, yeah. seriously, come with come me. Come on, man. Right. Upon this, he took up his lap and followed it. The ghost slowly stalked along as if encumbered with its chains and having turned into the courtyard of the house, suddenly vanished. Hmm. Athenodorus, being thus deserted, marked the spot with a handful of grass and leaves. Next day, he went to the magistrates and advised them. Grass and leaves. Yeah, this is here. here. Eh, That's good enough. The next day, he went to the magistrates and advised them to order that spot to be dug up. Huh. There they found bones commingled and intertwined with chains, for the body had moldered away by long lying on the ground, leaving them bare and corroded by the fetters. Wow. The bones were collected and buried at the public expense, and after the ghost was thus duly laid, uh, thus duly laid, after thus. After the ghost. What were you saying? It says again. Uh, <laughs> the bones were collected and buried at the public expense. And after the ghost was thus duly laid, the house was haunted no more. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. Cool. Not totally clear from to me from that initially, from the wording, whether that meant the ghost was able to move on or if he simply just moved away to haunt wherever <laughs> he was buried. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Leading people into the graveyard. Yeah. Pliny goes on further. This story, I believe, upon the affirmation of others, I can myself affirm to others what I now relate. I have a freed man named Marcus who has done, uh, who has some tincture of letters. One night, his younger brother, who was sleeping in the same bed with him, saw, as he thought, somebody sitting on the couch, who put a pair of shears to his head and actually cut off the hair from the crown of it. When morning came, they found the boy's crown was shorn and the hair lay scattered about on the floor. Whoa! After a short interval. A similar occurrence gave credit to the former. A slave boy of mine was sleeping amidst several others in their quarters, and two persons clad in white came, uh, came in, as he tells the story, through the windows, cut off his hair as he lay, and withdrew the same way they entered. Daylight revealed that this boy, too, had been shorn, and that his hair was likewise spread about the room. Hmm. Nothing, nothing remarkable followed, unless it uh, were that I escaped prosecution. Prosecuted, huh. I should have been if Domitian, in whose reign uh, these things happened, had lived longer. For an information lodged by Carus against me was found in his desk. Hence, it may be conjectured, since it is customary for accused persons to let their hair grow, that this cutting of my servant's hair was a sign that I should defeat the peril that hung over me. So he intense has, story, yeah, <laughs> it's really ended on the the most exciting one there. Oh, yes, like some people worked in my house, a slave and a servant, their hair got cut in the night. That was weird. It probably means that I uh, was saved from being uh, arrested or something.
1: (sighs) Man, oh, man. He he
0: concludes his letter by saying, I beg then you apply learning to this question, for it merits your prolonged and profound consideration, and I am not myself an unworthy recipient of your abounding knowledge. And though you should, after your manner, argue on both sides— Yet I hope you will throw your weightiest reasons on into one scale, lest you should dismiss me in suspense and uncertainty, whereas I consult you on purpose to determine my doubts. Farewell. Hmm. Pliny the younger, book seven, letter twenty-seven. Okay. So, yeah, between our Irish newspaper tale and this one, uh, what can we see in these stories that has carried through all the way until today? Uh ghost <laughs> <laughs>
1: Correct. <laughs> Mysterious events are unfolding. Person
0: hears about no, you it. You got the first try. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's certain beats that definitely come up to sound similar. We have there's like a, other beats there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In the first story, the author um, ends with like their ident, saying that they knew the people who told the story and knew they would never make the kind of thing up. They have some you know standard kind of nighttime creepiness things like that. They leave the house and then all the stuff stops. Uh, in Pliny's letter, he opens with the pretense that it's all true, even going so far as to ask if it could possibly be true. Like saying, oh, you tell me, could this right. be true? So really trying to give that possible Asking us to validate. Yeah. yeah. And then you have the sender kind of creepy old house no one wants to go to. Classic. And then, yeah, finding the buried bones and properly laying them to rest, which also ties into the notion that hauntings happen because the circumstances surrounding a person's death were in some way wrong. mm Partly like you know different stories saying, "Oh, once people find the buried body or whatever, then they're able to like solve it and the haunting goes away, and also the kind of early on idea that hauntings happen in the first place because of a wrongful death or some kind of unsolved mm. business. So it's a whole bunch of what we now recognize as classic horror story tropes uh used then in exactly the same way as now. In short, when we find a storytelling format that works and achieves what it sets out to do, we re- reuse that format forever. That's why we have mm-hmm. so many damned mm-hmm. heroes' journeys in like every type of fiction. We never H- get tired of hearing, it. yeah, hearing a type of story that we just like. like if if that form of story works, we're right. good with it. So too with the ghost story. Once mm. folks figured out how to tell a good scary story and it got the reaction they were aiming for, that just kept getting repurposed from then on. So these mm. conventions hold true across entirely different cultures and likely came about totally independently. Uh, it's just cool how we see this stuff all throughout time, and it. It just works in different ways. I um, Next week, I'll definitely try and find some older examples of ghost stories, and we'll look at more of the storytelling reasons why this stuff works. But for now, uh, these are just examples and kind of, uh, you know, like I said, reiterated story beats and stuff are what mm-hmm. I've got for this week. Very
1: fun to hear the uh, sort of ancient first Reddit posts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and simultaneously disheartening in a weird way. Reddit is the oldest form of art <laughs> of storytelling. No, it's a uh, that's really cool. Very interesting to see how little has changed, but also how structurally sound it was to
0: begin with. So, yeah. If it ain't broke, as it were. For sure. So uh yeah, that's that's what I got from my beginning fang and the cultural historical part of it. I understand you have a little more brain parts to it, but I do, but I think first we must
1: mention something else that's truly terrifying. <laughs> Um, and that's just how delicious the beer is coming out of this little place in Western Massachusetts called Four called? Phantoms. Yeah,
0: they take elements of uh the music that it is what and uh other uh, tabletop RPG and um malt liquor. Why help me?
1: Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> Rock and roll and alcohol. We're talking about a beer. Combines all three. They have a very fun and fantastical
0: theme to their beers. And their beers are just pretty darn good. Mm -hmm. There's no way around it. Right now, the seasonal offerings, they have all kinds of different seasonal offerings, including year-round stuff that gets uh, switched up a little to match the season it's in. But um, some specific ones that are happening right now are their IPA Witch Cult Mm -hmm. and their Imperial Stout Worship Worship Doom. Doom. Both very yummy extremely
1: delicious and extremely seasonally apropos if you are living in western mass or just massachusetts in general yeah but we all know you'd rather live in western mass um (laughs) or rhode island you can actually go to stores to buy this stuff Mm -hmm. with a mask on uh but if you live outside the state or you just don't feel like going to shops, they're available for curbside pickup. Reach out to Four Phantoms directly using the contact
0: information. Granted, you could also, like, if you live outside the state but are within driving distance of places that sell, it. you could drive to those stores and buy it, too. There's a lot of different options if you live in the greater New England area. You couldn't do that. Okay, you're right. And, yeah, if, uh... If you want to, it would be really helpful if you were to go on to Untapped and leave a creative and fun review for them. We have a link to that as well for the Untapped page for Four Phantoms. If you mention us in your review, we'll read it on here, and uh, that'd be neat. Yeah. Thank you very much, for Phantoms. Back to the show. Mm-hmm. So,
1: to kick my segment off, I'm going to read a story that scared me very much as a child, mm. uh, kind of creeped me out again as an adult. This is and Jake, tell me if you've heard this one already. Harold from Scary Stories Three, More Tales to Chill Your Bones. Subtitle: How to Legally Traumatize Your Kids. <laughs> sub subtitle: Why are you doing this? Don't buy this for your kids. What is wrong with you? These stories are pretty frightening and won't teach them anything but fear.
0: And uh, additionally, I think I, maybe it's not. It's a postscript kind of towards the end of the book saying the illustrations chosen to go with these books are visual violence yes there you go (laughs)
1: Um, yeah just because you're good at blowing ink around on a page and making ghoulish nightmares come to life does not mean you should be employed to do that for (laughs) anything (laughs) least of all books for little
0: kids what is wrong with people so the question from you originally was have i heard this story and i will ask you uh is scarecrow Yes. In that case, I will say that this one I actually heard for the first time only a few years ago, back when I was slinging groceries in the middle of the night onto shelves, S- and slinging some gross. <laughs> exactly, and trying out a bunch of different podcasts because I wanted a good spooky podcast to listen to. Found one where they read this one aloud on it, and it creeped me the hell out. But that again was, as long time listeners may remember, uh, that was when I got the idea that hey. None of these shows are what I want. Let's make the show I want, and that is Super Duper Stitious. And
1: here we are. Welcome to Super Duper Stitious,
0: <laughs> the Paranormal Podcast. That happened because Jake worked night shift one time. He worked night shift, got really <laughs> bored,
1: um, and I just didn't have enough to do.
0: <laughs> yeah, you were like, ah, this PhD is boring. I'm I need boring. more things to add yeah, to my plate.
1: I am boring. I'm bored. <laughs> uh, but yes. <laughs> so... Anyone out there who heard the story before, I don't know, skip ahead like
0: five, ten minutes because it's scary. Yeah, if you know it already, you know you're going to be too scared by it, but otherwise, yeah, buckle up and...
1: And again, just pretend you're, you know, seven. <laughs> <clears throat> when it got hot in the valley, Thomas and Alfred drove their cows up to a cool green pasture in the mountains to graze. Usually, they stayed there with the cows for two months, then they brought them down to the valley again... The work was easy enough, but it was boring. All day, the men tended their cows. They should have had a good podcast to listen to at the time. (laughs) They should do a podcast. Yeah, that or do one. (laughs) Uh, At night, they went back to the tiny hut where they lived. They ate supper and worked in the garden and went to sleep. It was always the same. Then, Thomas had an idea that changed everything. Mm -hmm. Let's make a doll the size of a man, he said. It'd be fun to make, and we could put it in the garden to scare the
0: birds. Oh, oh, scare, oh yeah, scare, that's what you were going to do, scare the birds with it. That's, that's what I was thinking, too, we would do with it. Okay, cool.
1: <laughs> yeah. It should look like Harold, Alfred said. Harold was a farmer they both hated. They made a doll out of old sacks stuffed with straw. They gave it a pointy nose like Harold's and tiny eyes like his. And they added dark hair and a twisted frown. Of course, they also gave it Harold's name. Was that Harold? <laughs> Each morning on their way to the pasture, they tied Harold to a pole in the garden to scare away the birds. Each night, they brought him inside so that he wouldn't get ruined if it rained. When they were feeling playful, they would talk to him. One of them might say, How are the vegetables growing today, Harold? Then the other, making believe he was Harold, would answer in a crazy voice, Very slowly. (laughs) They both would laugh. (laughs) But not Harold. (laughs) <laughs> whenever something went wrong they took it out on harold they would curse at him even kick or punch him sometimes one of them would take the food they were eating which they were both sick of and smear it on the doll's face how do you like the stew harold <laughs> he would ask
0: very slowly He would very respond. slowly <laughs>
1: Oh, my God. Jake, you're going to ruin it. <laughs> Sorry. This is to demonstrate scare.
0: This is so I don't get too scared. You said if you're seven years old, imagine this. I was 27 when I You are demonstrating
1: heard it. one of the techniques people use when they're experiencing a scary story, it does go along with my segment. So, Great. fine. Carry okay. on. Make more jokes <laughs> with your silly butt. Please please make more jokes.
0: <laughs> Specifically with your butt. <laughs> Specifically with
1: your butt. Yeah. Do the Jim Carrey thing. <laughs> no. Well, you better read it or else... Then the two men would howl with laughter. One night, after Thomas had wiped Harold's face with food, Harold grunted. Did you hear that? Alfred asked. It was Harold, Thomas said. I sure hope I've got their voices straight. (laughs) I was watching him when it happened. I can't believe it. How could he grunt? Alfred asked. He's just a sack of straw. It's not possible. Let's throw him in the fire. That will be that. (laughs) Let's not do anything stupid, said Alfred. We don't know what's going on. but we move the cows down, we'll leave them behind. For now, let's just keep an eye on them. So they left Harold sitting in the corner of the hut. They didn't talk to him or take him outside anymore. Now and then, the doll grunted. But that was all. After a few days, they decided there was nothing to be afraid of. Maybe a mouse or some insects had gotten inside Harold and were making those sounds. Some ass going, huh? Oh, that'd be even worse. Yes, uh also listen to episode whatever it was.
0: About what? Are we kids? Oh yeah. Uh Dragonfly Sounds for kids. I don't remember what number that is, but <laughs> Um So
1: Thomas and Alfred went back to their old ways. Each morning they put Harold out in the garden, and each night they brought him back into the hut. When they felt playful, they joked with him. When they felt mean, they treated him as badly as ever. Then, one night, Alfred noticed something that frightened him. Harold is growing, he said. I was thinking the same thing, Thomas said. Maybe it's just our imagination. We've been up here on this mountain for too long. The next morning, while they were eating, Harold stood up and walked out of the hut. He climbed up on the roof and trotted back and forth like a horse on its hind legs. All day and all night, he trotted like that. In the morning, Harold climbed down and stood in a far corner of the pasture. The men had no idea what he would do next.
0: I like the idea of this all happening where they just like watch him get up and walk out. And they're just like, huh. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's
1: true. There's a few beats in here where I would be uh, 4,000 miles away. <laughs> yeah. Um, they decided to take the cows down into the valley that same day. When they left, Harold was nowhere in sight. They felt as if they had escaped a great danger and began joking and singing. But when they had gone only a mile or two, they realized they had forgotten to bring the milking stools. Neither one wanted to go back for them, but the stools would cost a lot to replace. There's really nothing to be afraid of, they told one another. After all, what could a doll do? Other than, uh, as we've seen, climb up out of the fucking house and trot around (laughs) like a horse for some reason.
0: Which, if you also imagine the specific, it didn't say walking around, it's trotting around like a horse on its hind legs, which you picture is pretty unstable and kind of just hopping and And a little bit lurchy. And like, it makes
1: it more like bestial and upsetting than Mm -hmm. just like, oh, he just walked around like a ding dong. Yeah. Uh, which is the version I wrote immediately after reading this to disarm (laughs) it. (laughs) He climbed up there and walked around like a ding-dong, then he just evaporated at the end. (laughs) They drew straws to see which one would go back. It was Thomas. I'll catch up with you, he said, and Alfred walked toward the valley. When Alfred came to a rise in the path, he looked back for Thomas. He did not see him anywhere, but he did see Harold. The doll was on the roof of the hut again. As Alfred watched, Harold kneeled and stretched out a bloody skin to dry in the sun. <laughs> the fucking end, by the way. <laughs> so, there you go. <laughs> Scary story. Uh-huh. To tell in the light, is that right? To tell, yeah, to tell in the light <laughs> and grow your kids big up, big up and strong. <laughs> So what the hell's going on in our brains mm-hmm. while we experience a scary story or a scary movie or really anything frightening consumed with a recreational intent? I personally cannot say because I don't love being scared.
0: <laughs> it's so funny. Will, well, we both yeah. have this in common where we get so scared. I love it, but I
1: don't love it. <laughs> right. We're like,
0: oh no, but we keep pursuing it. But it's still
1: a thrill. Yes. I can't deny it. Um, But yes, I will delicately and safely pass the baton to bigger fans of the experience to identify the reasons we enjoy being scarred. We'll obviously get into this more next week, but for now, let's turn to researcher and educator at the National University of Ireland Galway, Christopher Dwyer. Back to Ireland again this episode. Yes. Who writes, a pounding heartbeat, heavy breathing, a cold sweat, butterflies in your stomach. These don't sound like particularly nice experiences, but we endure them when we feel fear. But why do so many people like to be scared? Number one, the safety net.
0: (laughs) That's pretty good timing. (laughs) That's my favorite kind of thing.
1: When we get scared, our bodies will go into fight, flight, or freeze mode. But if we are in a setting where we get a safe fright for instance watching a horror film or visiting a haunted a haunted house specifically as a halloween house right like or playing a scary video stuff, game yeah. our brains will quickly evaluate the situation and tell us that we're free from risk our bodies calm down and many of us subsequently enjoy the experience thus many of us are actually seeking controlled fear and suspense because we know we are safe which speak for yourself chris <laughs> number 2 the flood which sounds scary <laughs> it does when we get scared we experience a rush of adrenaline and a release of endorphins and dopamine the biochemical rush can result in a pleasure-filled opioid-like sense of euphoria Hmm. coupled with this when we are reminded of our safety remember from hours ago the safety net the experience of fear subsides and we are left with a gratifying sense of relief and subsequent well-being which speak for yourself chris Another point is closeness with others, which is where Chris begins to, uh, show his creepy incel side. Oh, no. A common piece of dating advice for young men years ago was to take their date to a scary movie. The tip was based on the idea that when their date got frightened, they would curl in for protection, thus reinforcing a bond between the two. And then he puts in parentheses, this is the G-rated version of the rationale. Jesus. We don't have to keep any of that part in. (laughs) Though the advice is certainly dated, there is some truth to it, applied to both people on the date, who may both like each other more now because of the pleasurable feeling experienced during their time together at the cinema, not necessarily because of each other's company.
0: This is assuming that people still actually like the idea of going to a movie on a first date. It's Like, oh, well, just, let's uh, we've just met. Let's go sit in silence next to each other for 90 minutes.
1: I did that. I did that when I was like 13 yeah I saw I went and saw the ring <laughs> which was fucking
0: scary <laughs> yes
1: and we did not go on any other dates
0: um because <laughs> when it got scary you curled up over on I curled up crying and vomiting
1: <laughs> <laughs> now funny enough it was I think the jump scare that was intended to scare did scare me which of course if you've seen this movie is when they cut to the Girl in the closet. And you see her like ghoulish, open mouth face. Mm-hmm. Have you seen this movie, Jake? No, it's too scary. <laughs> oh man, it's gross. I mean, it's not that gross, but if you don't, you don't, exp- you don't know that it's going to happen. And they're like, boom, and they just like throw it mm-hmm. at you, and she's like, Blaw! like uh. <laughs> really gross, and curled up in the closet, which is just like a creepy thing. I'm going to look it like, up.
0: Oh, I've been doing this. Yeah,
1: do the ring. I don't closet. know. Closet circa. 2000, uh, 2002
0: or 3? Oh, I hate that. Oh, I hate that so much. Yeah, dude. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, God. I'm so sorry. Yeah, okay. That, Welcome that, to Super <laughs> Duper Sessions, the spooky podcast by two guys who are scared of being <laughs> scared.
1: <laughs> so that happened and I was like Duh! <laughs> and then you could hear like the sound of my pants filling with pee. And for her, weirdly enough, it was the, there's a there's like a art dark art film part of the movie that it's the film that is supposed to curse you Mm -hmm. and they you see this movie and it's like centipede crawls across the screen person pushes their thumb down on like a nail i mean it's like upsetting imagery but it's not as jump scary or ghoulish Mm -hmm. she could not hang interesting but i think she was braver than me on the whole i was like a little (laughs) scary so another reason Many people are curious about the dark side, he puts in quotes. He's, then he writes of the force. <laughs> the fear of the unknown is one of the most natural and instinctive fears that we have. And it is also one of the oldest curiosities. <laughs> I don't really love this guy's writing, but you know what? The content works. It's all about that tent. Mm-hmm. Another notion I've mentioned countless times, apparently, in past posts, is that people like their worlds to make sense. They like things wrapped up in nice, neat little packages. Our world is easier to engage with when things make sense to us, and so some may choose to engage further with the quote-unquote unknown in order to better make sense of their own situations, which I kind of get what he's saying here. My interpretation is like when we know we're engaging with something that is fantastical and frightening, Mm -hmm. and it has a conclusion, it allows us to kind of come back to, ah... Things go. Things are normal here. Yeah, it all and worked they out. They're not the nightmare. Yeah, or if it ended badly, at least that's not my reality. Right. And then I stumbled across another site, Science Norway, <laughs> ooh, uh, to add a few more points from the Scandinavians, which is testing limits within safe surroundings. So another reason offered by film scholar Soren Burkvad is what he calls the anthropological and therapeutic utility of horror. They're, again, focused on film here, but this applies Mm -hmm. to stories as well in general. The therapeutic utility of horror film, which is that it teaches us to deal with our own anxiety. This occurs partly through the familiar frameworks that are found in every proper genre film, including the horror film, and partly through the rituals we build around the viewing experience. Quote, we see it in the way teenage boys occasionally use horror films as a part of a kind of manhood test, where it's about keeping one's composure as much as possible.
0: I think we both found that.
1: Oh, nah, man. It's all about the quiet peeing of the pants. <laughs> in this perspective, the horror and the internal shriek. <laughs> what happened? I'm just clearing my throat. <laughs> um, for, for the rest of the episode, I'm trying to clear your throat, it's that exact sound. <laughs> <laughs> In this perspective, the horror film becomes a way to test our personal and collective limits in a safe environment. If it gets too scary, you can just cover your ears, put your hands in front of your eyes, ease the tension with an amusing quip, our poison of choice, or turn to your popcorn bowl for comfort. Psychologist. Oh, boy. (laughs) Svein. A with a zero. A with a zero? (laughs) Nailing it. KJ... O with a slash s so kios i don't know
0: johnson Well, we sure do not know <laughs> languages
1: psychologist dr johnson adds <laughs> <laughs> quote in psychology we call this activation of a feeling quote emotional regulation by watching horror films one can have a sense of control over both the situation or the viewing experience and over the feeling of fear itself Watching a scary film may possibly also function as a distraction from other feelings. Sigmund Freud provides us with three possible further explanations for why we experience things that behave abnormally as intimidating. Number one, we nowadays live in an enlightened time, but thoughts like, quote, What if there actually are ghosts? create excitement. <laughs> As such, seeking this kind of experience may be a kind of logical reality check. So we've already covered that, but I'm just going to let Freud re-articulate it. Hmm. Number two, such experiences may evoke different types of repressed complexes or ideas that we may wish to process, such as, can I actually poop my pants myself out of my chair? (laughs) And number three, Freud claims that most people are never completely freed from what he calls infantile anxiety, that is Hmm. fear of darkness, loneliness, and silence. He provides no direct explanation as to why we would wish to seek out something that reminds us of such infantile anxiety, but it could be related to curiosity, or maybe Freud, Freuded himself. (laughs) Sounds like. But that is what I have for today. Gonna take a much deeper dive into the, well hopefully, into the brain chemistry and sort of psychology facets
0: of fear next Mm -hmm. week, but for now, we'll leave it right there. Well, I love it very much. That is... Very cool, and hopefully as tantalizing to our listeners as it is to me to hear more about that next week. Mm. All we have left to do today is, of course, thank our patrons through a segment that we call Pander. Pander.
1: Let's uh, boot up the old NCAA device, which of course is this ancient uh, computer-type machine that we built slash, I don't know, it just materialized mm-hmm. uh, two years ago and more? Two and a half years ago? A year and a half. A year and a half, four <laughs> years ago. Before I knew you, this machine existed. <laughs> Probably, It was actually. waiting for us to start this show. We will, of course, jack it into the backs of our heads. So let's turn it on. Ah. Oh, God, I jacked it in first. Oh, no, oh, no. I've never experienced... Ah, ah, ah.
0: <laughs> well... I'm going to plug it into my head now. that <laughs> oh, <it> was nice. <laughs> and so, yeah, what happens is we're going to both focus on a patron together. And oh, the God. machine... You okay? <laughs> we're gonna, we're, I'm going to hope that at some point it's going to reboot the, um, the save files for wise consciousness and he'll be good to go again. And uh, we'll focus in on one of our various Patreon patrons. And uh, it will tell us what creature, creatures, cryptids, whatever in the world they personally should look out for. Uh That's right. So today we are focusing on Calvin S. Thank you, Wyatt. And so, Calvin, be on the lookout for... Uh Abura Sumashi. There he is. The Abura Sumashi is a creature said to have appeared at one time on the island of Amakusa in Kumamoto Prefecture on a mountain uh, pass called Kusazumigo. According to the story
1: usually told about this spirit, an old woman was once walking her grandchild along this pass when she recited a story she'd heard in which the Abura (laughs) Sumashi Sumashi would appear in that place (laughs) (laughs) dangling an oil bottle. (laughs) <laughs> okay, I'm done.
0: Good, good. All right. So we fully got the uh, the backup file for Wyatt online. We're good to go. Whew, oh, man. Uh, at that moment, the Ab- Aburo Sumashi showed up again, proclaiming that he still appeared. What? So he appeared what? and then came back and said, no, I appeared. Oh, oh. Well, we said he would appear in one place. And then uh, later on, he said, oh, I did, I guess. Just so you know, uh, who are we doing?
1: I literally have no memory since we plugged in.
0: We are doing. Uh, we're it's uh, Calvin S. Calvin S. Thank you
1: very much, Calvin. This be beyond looking up for what looks like a creepy um, um,
0: little friggin' kind of monkeyish kind of
1: purple, very happy
0: monster baby ghoul. Yeah, it's not great. Uh, its name can be translated to oil ringer. It uh, squeezes oil basically. Unless you want to get your shirts all messed up with oil,
1: <laughs> or if you need free, extremely creepy oil <laughs> in a bottle, no less, yes. uh, go to Kumamoto Prefecture mm-hmm. on a mountain pass. Yeah. Which, Jake, I think... I had nailed the pronunciation on earlier. I'm having file inputs suggest you have already covered this.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, that is what... That is, and thank you so much for your support on Patreon. Thank you so much. Be safe. We appreciate you. And I think we should go ahead and unplug these now. Maybe on the count of three, we'll do it together. One, one two, two, three. Oh, uh, thank
1: God. There we God. go. Wow, that was... How long was that for?
0: Have we done more than one patron today? We've done like five episodes since you're out. I don't know. Whoa.
1: Man,
0: oh man. Um so that is our first uh, first dive into the uh, uh, into spooky story special report <laughs> stuff this week. I teased earlier on this episode that we have a special limited edition merch thing to announce and what a tease. Oh, we do. We have a new design available right now Ooh. in t-shirt and hoodie form. It's incredibly stupid and therefore one of my favorite things we've ever done.
1: Give it to me. Like our... What'd you say? Give me the (laughs) t-shirt.
0: Like Our Logo is designed by the incomparable Lauren Marple. It requires an affinity for Manx tales of talking mongooses and half-century-old campaigns for American peanut butter companies in order to enjoy. What I'm getting at, of course, is choosy moms choose Jeff. Yes, it is Jeff the mongoose. He's popping out of a peanut butter jar. It's available in five or six cute. colors, depending on which product you go with. But the catch is that it is available only until Halloween. So don't miss your chance. Oof. Limited dish. Mm-hmm. As with absolutely all of the merch we sell, shipping is free anywhere in the world. And we did a ton of research into this early on. It's way cheaper than places like Pod Swag. It's a good deal. Check it out. Between now and midnight on Halloween, get it or get gone or get any of our other merchandise. <laughs> That's true. That's all there all the time. Feel free to buy that too. But
1: get the limited edition stuff. It's the coolest. Yeah, I think you guys you can turn like to it. all your other buds and be like, "Don't have this one." Uh-huh. And be like, fine.
0: Uh, no, and, I really want one too yeah and if you know if you don't have the the cash to uh, throw out this kind of stuff we understand uh you can also support us by rating and reviewing the show that's super cool and free to do and we love it oh yeah. And, uh, yeah, spread the word. We we appreciate you. And, Jake,
1: do you have a cause of the week?
0: Yes. So, after last week's frankly disgraceful grand jury outcome in the case mm. of Breonna Taylor, we're keeping it pretty simple this week and just posting the link tree for Black Lives Matter Louisville. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The importance of the work these folks are taking on goes without saying. And every day, just standing up for what's right is becoming more and more dangerous because of law enforcement thugs. So check out the options for how you can help, and please, please do so. Mm. Other than that, yeah, thanks for joining us this week. Hope to catch you next week for a little more into this cool stuff.
1: Yes, indeed. Again, that'll be part two of our special report, Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, we'll see you there. Goodbye. Bye.